0: So, we're on our second week of what it means to have a king. And um, usually I get emails saying, can you clarify this or that throughout the week? And I didn't get anything, so I'm not sure if people just didn't respond. Or maybe it was because the time change. Everybody was so sleepy last week. It's only an hour, and I always say, I shouldn't be sleepy. But I was. But today, if you want to turn into your Bible, into 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I would encourage you to, throughout this week, read the rest of the chapter, because it really does tie into what we're going to talk about today, but as we talk about the king, last week was, what does it look like if we live under a king? And today we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but what is our life, and how is it affected when we really begin to worship something? Um. Who or what we worship establishes lordship in our life. And most of you, if I asked you, would say, Oh, yeah, I, I believe in God and I worship God, but it's more than that. Who is really king in your life? I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, but let me go and cover the scripture first. And 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through, I'm sorry, 1, 3 through 10, it tells us something very valuable. Here's what it says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. That you were enriched in everything by him in all utterances and all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. That you come short in no gift. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you speak the same, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Wow, that last verse is hard. Oh. You don't realize how much Paul said there. I'm going to give you a couple hints in a minute. But Paul says a lot right there. So who's really king in our life? Here's how you find out who really has that lordship. Number one, where do you spend your time? Number two, where do you spend your money? And number three, where does your emotional energy go? Where do you spend your time? Do I give my time sacrificially? Am I looking for opportunities to gather together with other believers, whether that be a corporate setting on a Sunday morning or lunch on a Tuesday afternoon? Is that what I'm looking for? Or is my time my own, and I may be able to give back once in a while? Where do I spend my time? Do I spend it giving to others and looking for opportunities to serve? And it's not about doing, but it is about understanding that's a reflection of what really matters in your life. Where do you spend your money? Now, see, that gets really personal. So now there's people who are already shutting me off, going, quit asking me for money. And that's the beauty of it. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm just asking you where you spend it. See, I spend far too much on food, and it shows. (laughs) I spend far too much on baseball cards. It doesn't show, but it's the truth. I think I'm addicted to those little pieces of cardboard but where do I spend my money? What really matters to me? And what do I value? And where do I put my mental energy? Do I put time daily into the Word of God? People say, well, how much am I supposed to read? And I hate that question, because it's the wrong question. We're supposed to read to challenge ourselves and to grow. And that may be one verse, or that may be several chapters. There's days I sit down, and I read, and I go, oh, that's good. And I'll write out a verse... And I begin to just focus on that over and over. And then there's days I read for 45 minutes and go, oh, that was good, and set it down and put it aside and move on. One's not right and one's not wrong. As long as my heart is to see, what is God trying to say to me? So where is my emotional and mental energy spent? And then the better way to ask that is, do my values and my actions align? Is what I say I believe seen by the way I live my life because it's one thing to say this is what I believe God and America and church amen but is my life really aligned with me really saying that God is really first in my life and what happens when there's conflict with the other aspects of my life who rules who reigns and what triumphs and what comes out so lordship of Christ I've got five things for you today number one If you're a note taker, you'll like it because they all start with E. Number one, it enriches. When, When Christ is Lord in my life, it enriches in these ways. It gives me hope in times of trouble. Have you ever had a situation where things are difficult and you're looking for hope? That's what having God as Lord in my life does for me. It gives me that hope when things are difficult. It allows me to overcome self. Because, man, I'm so selfish so often. It's easy to make everything about me. And if you don't believe me, you can ask my wife, is he really that selfish? And she'll say yes. But luckily she loves me and we work through it anyway. But when Jesus is really Lord in my life, it helps me move beyond self. It presses me towards something greater. When Jesus is really Lord in my life, when he's really in that place, It pushes me beyond where I am towards something that's even greater than what I understand. The second E, it encourages. Verse 7 says, So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord. Knowing Jesus is returning should be a motivator for me, but knowing Jesus is returning cannot be the only thing I hang my, my faith on. Because sooner or later you're going to stand before God, whether that is because, he return, because Jesus returns or because you die. Because you're not immortal. You're mortal whether you think so or not. And some of us, every day we get up and realize, oh wow, I'm getting a little closer to my mortality. You know when you realize it is when you wake up and you go, boy, I'm sore today, and you realize I did nothing yesterday, and I'm sore today. It's not like the day after I went roller skating and my hips were a little sore. It's the, oh, where'd that, oh, I think my elbow is shattered. <laughs> no, just slept. <laughs> That's when you realize how close you are to mortality. Every day, you're one step closer to meeting Jesus. You're going to meet him this is a reminder. When he's Lord of my life, that's not something to be feared. It's not something I want. I don't want death, but I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of death. When I worked at the hospice hospital, somebody got mad that I told their, went in and talked to their loved one. Who was on hospice? And I was talking to them about kind of what are your wishes while you still have your mind about you. Do you want pain meds? Do you not want pain? What do you want? And I'm sitting down, and I have this little form I fill out. And a lady was so mad at me. She went and she said, you just, she caught me in the hall. you just love death. And I looked and I said, I don't love death. I'm just not afraid of it. Because I don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. Because I know who I am in Christ. Do I want to live lo- a long time? Yes. I want to see my grandchildren someday. No pressure. I want to live to see the Packers win another Super Bowl. may not happen. I want to live to, to do some things. I've talked oftentimes, I'm one of the only pastors I know who routinely checks his retirement accounts and talks about, I look forward to retiring someday, and I'm going to sit there with an ugly fishing hat and do nothing and watch, sit at our cabin and just watch the lake for hours at a time. There it goes. Oh, look, ducks flew in and sit there long enough to watch the ducks fly back out. I want to live a long life, but I'm not afraid because I know that with Jesus as Lord in my life, it encourages me. The third thing, it establishes who I am. It shapes my thought process. I've told you before, you know, Paul calls himself, when he starts, he calls himself the greatest of all saints. By the time of his last writings, he titles himself the least of all saints, the greatest of all sinners. Paul didn't get worse. Paul just began to understand who he was. Paul began to understand how his mind worked, how his heart worked, and who he really was. And when you're in touch with who you really are, you know, I really am a sinner. And my only hope is being saved by grace. I'm a bad person who loves Jesus and tries to become more like who he is. It establishes me when... Jesus is really Lord in my life. It begins to establish me. I'm not perfect. But I can walk closer and closer and closer to who he is, and he is perfection. My, what I say and what I live out begin to become the same. And the beauty of verse 8, it says, I'm blameless in the sight of God. Those of us who are in Christ, we're blameless in the sight of God. We're, God is like our grandparent in that situation. He sees you do no wrong. Your parents will tell you how bad you were as a kid, but your grandparents were like, they were perfect. They are the best kid I ever saw. Because that's a grandparent's job. I've known grandparents who have their grandchild that lived with them that still thought it, and I really don't get that. But if you ask my parents, they will tell you, my kids were perfect. I'm like, you saw them. And they still go, oh, they were great. They still believe my son is just this angelic being. He really is. He's over there somewhere. He's smiling and nodding. He agrees. It elevates. That's your next E. It elevates in in verse 9. We're called into fellowship. Fellowship with Jesus is not just something that we do. If we really want him to be Lord of our life, we have to know him. You have to know of him. You can't just know of him. You can't just know some great stories about him. You can have a personal relationship. And the beauty of it is, from the very moment Jesus came down, he said, you don't have to go through a mediator. I'm not against people who say, who um, maybe I have friends who are still in the Catholic Church and they still go to confession. And they'll tell me, I do that because it forces me to look at my own life. That's great. That's great. They'll sit there and they'll say, these are the things I've done wrong. These are the things I recognize I need to change. Man, that would be good for some of the Protestant church today to spend a few minutes looking at what we've done, admitting it, and recognizing we need to change. But the beauty of it is, the beauty of all of this is that we can go directly to the Father with that. And yet we choose not to we choose to be afraid or we choose to I'm going to get myself cleaned up and then I'll come back I can't tell you how many people I've known that won't go to church because their life is a mess and I think oh man it's the place you need to be today now be with other messy people be with other messy people and find out that there's hope for me find out you can be that beacon of light for someone else you've been invited to spend time with Jesus. Um, I've never personally been invited to the White House. I still await my invitation from some president. I don't care which one. People are like, well, would you go? I don't care who the president is. If it were Millard Fillmore, I would have gone. If the White House invites you, you show up, and you dress nice, and you shake the president's hand. I had friends with a certain president that go, well, he invited me to... I wouldn't even shake his hand. I was like, and I looked in the room and I said, on what occurrence in your warped life would the president ever be wanting to shake your hand? (laughs) Yes, I actually said that out loud to someone. (laughs) But you've been invited. You've been invited to a special place. You've been given an invitation to the very throne room of God. And so many of us go, "Mm, that seems hard. That seems inconvenient. If I were invited tomorrow, I'd buy my suit, I'd get a plane ticket, and i get there and take an Uber to the White House and say, I got invited, where do I go? It has nothing to do with my politics, it has to do with, I've been invited to a special place. I'm not English, so I don't think it'll ever happen, but if some, for some reason I get invited by Prince Charles to go play polo, I'm going to be there. I haven't ridden a horse in probably 20 years, and I've never played polo in my life. But hand me a stick, and I'll go for it. Because I, I want to be in that special place. And maybe it's a favorite rock star that you'd love to sit down with, or a favorite Seahawk, or a favorite whatever, and you go, oh, I'd love to have lunch with this guy. And if they invited me, I'd go, I've been invited into the throne room of God, and he's saying, come and join me. Don't miss the opportunity, because it's difficult. Finally, it exhorts us to be of one mind, not as a puppet, I've told you before, you don't have to agree with everything I say. I'm not trying to create clones of me. I'm trying to create disciples of Jesus. Okay? So I'm not saying, agree with me. Agree with me politically. Agree with me in the color I like. And agree with my favorite team. And agree, I, That's not what I'm saying. But there's a difference between blind agreement and actually having unity. And we are called to be a people of unity. We may not agree on everything. But let's presume the best about others. Let's hold fast to the idea that we are aligned with others in this congregation. And they may not see things the same way as you do theologically or on prayer or on a lot of different things. But that doesn't mean we can't fellowship together. It doesn't mean we can't learn to understand that there's some things that are greater than our differences. Do we have differences? Obviously. But there's things that are greater than that. Something I've Said since I came here, we're all in this together. For better or worse, we're all in this together. When I first became a pastor, next month will be five years that I've been here as a pastor. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing, trying to get better every day. And if you don't believe me, just know that I I listen to sermons and I watch classes and I'm just trying to get better every day. But what I know is, from the very beginning, I said, this either succeeds. Or fails, based on whether or not we can do this together because we are all in this together. I was sent to something that was classified as a restart. Good things had happened for years, but they'd hit a little snag or a little bump and it was classified as a restart. And I was like, I don't know how to start something. I don't know how to restart something. But I know that I love people and I want to spend time with them, so I'll start there. And my first week... I put out this blanket invitation and I said, I would love to have breakfast, lunch, or dinner with any of you, let me know when you're free. And I sat by my phone and waited, and waited, and waited. And the second week I thought, I'll say it again, and I said it again, and I sat by my phone and waited and thought, what am I doing wrong? And yet now, over time, people began to understand. I've had many people say, I didn't think you really meant it when you said let's have lunch. I mean it. Let's have lunch. I post all my information for you guys so that you can call me. You can email me. I'll find a time. I'd go to breakfast. The earliest I've gone since I've been here was we have somebody who got off work at 4 in the morning and I met him at 4.30 to have breakfast. I love it. Early morning breakfast, I can go back, go back to sleep for two hours, and then get up and have breakfast again. Tell me that's not great. I shouldn't, but I believe I actually did. You guys, we're all in this together. It's not me up here, you out there, you show up, you punch your card, a couple of times a month, you feel better, and then you go, it's us together.